want us to praise the Lord this morning, amen? <clears throat> for He is truly worthy. He is truly worthy. Thank you guys for joining with us. This uh, service wouldn't be what it is without you being here. The effort that you put forward to come and to join with us and to, uh, that we could come together and express our love and, our, and express praise and express worship to an amazing God that we serve. This is truly making this Easter a great celebration. Thank you for being here. How about give yourselves a big hand for not sleeping in this morning. Come on now. The temptation was there. Happy Easter to everyone. This is Resurrection Sunday, and what an amazing opportunity uh, for us to come together and to uh, celebrate and worship Him and study His Word and be discipled so that we can go and be employed to do what He's called us to do in advancing His amazing kingdom here on earth. And you and I get to be a part of that. Well, if you are a first-time guest or haven't been here in a while, we do welcome you back. And uh, you can see what's been going on here at Christian Embassy and get involved. We'd love for you to get involved. We'd love to uh, be able to partner with each and every one of you. Uh, I'm, I'm a southern boy from South Carolina, so I like that hospitality family feel. So instead of seeing this as any type of organization or institution, I want you to see it as the family of God. We're here to love on each other, get to know each other, support one another, encourage one another, be a blessing to one another, use our gifts and our talents that God has called us, help to discover them, and then use them for advancing His kingdom and uh, just uh, doing what God's called us to do and doing it together. We love doing it in, in koinia or fellowship, one with another. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, joining us as, as often as you can. We just thank God for you. We had a tremendous first service this morning. Uh, those folks said they were going to be a little uh, peppier than you guys. So we'll see at the end of this who was the peppiest of all. And uh, we recently, our family went down to the post office there on Kempsville Road and we went in the side there where you're, you're getting our passports ready. Uh, I've, I've had so many invitations over the years to go to other countries and do ministry, but I've always turned them down. I'm just one of those guys. I, I love America, and I just love home soil. You know, maybe if I was in, you know, Switzerland, I, that would still, I'd still be a homeboy. So I don't know if it's America as much as it is just I like I'm a homeboy. And um, never been out of the country. I know it's hard for Scott to even imagine. It's like, how in the world could you be 52 and never been out of the country? And uh, so we're getting our passports. We've had an invitation to come, and we felt like it was God's timing. We need to do this to go do some ministry, uh, teaching and equipping some uh, pastors in several countries as we'll be going. And then finally, our destination doing ministry in Romania, where my wonderful, beautiful, lovely wife is from. And she hasn't been back since uh, for 26 years. So it's probably going to be a shocker for her, but we hear that we're going to probably get to go by the home she grew up in. The people that bought it uh, have had several family members of our family members go over the years, and they actually give them a tour of the house. So we're hoping we can go in there and see where <clears throat> uh, Miss Rudika grew up, you know. <laughs> so that's going to be exciting as well. But we were getting our passports, and the gentleman, uh, we took our number, and he called us over, and, and uh, he says, uh, I know you. And uh, that kind of shocked me because this is the post office. This is where they had the most wanted pictures posted up in the way. He said, I know you. <clears throat> I was like, yeah, yes, sir. And uh, he says, Tw about 25 years ago, he says, I came to your church. Isn't it off of Centerville Turnpike? I said, yeah. And he says, you just started it. I said, yeah. And he says, and you told me some stuff that I've held on to and I've shared with so many others. And it actually has helped me in the ministry I'm doing today as I'm a pastor. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And, uh, and, and he just started telling me all the stuff that I told him back then. He said, you were so full of vision and you were so full of purpose. And you were so excited about what God was going to do and build in the kingdom of God there. And, and I said, well, believe it or not, it has happened. And uh, I said, we, we've been blessed. We've just, uh, you know, several years now been in our new ministry center. All of that was part of the vision. And Brother Steve, thank you for helping us get that done. I see Brother Steve here that, that took all the burden off of me and getting this place built. And uh, so he was so excited about that. And his name's Pastor Watson. And uh, true story. Uh, everything I tell you may not be true, but that part's a true story. <laughs> Because he went on to say, he said, I had this family in my church that was really, they're coming for counseling and there was a lot of conflict. 
And, uh, and I'm like, oh, no, he's, I'm coming here to get a passport, and I'm going to end up having to do some counseling or something, you know. And he says, and uh, we finally decided, uh, our counseling staff finally decided, we need to send them to Israel and let them go and experience the Holy Land and all of Israel and as a family, and maybe they can work their stuff out because, you know, there's tight quarters and staying together. And the main problem was the mother-in-law. She was causing most of the conflict. Now, for all you mother-in-laws, I'm on your side. Don't turn against me. But this is, this is what he tells me. And he says, so they went to Israel, and they're climbing all those steps and all those hills and everything that are there. And she had a heart attack, and she died. And he's like, wow. So, so they, the family got together with the Department of Health there and said, what are we going to do? And, and they said, well, we've got some numbers here we've got from the courier and so forth to get her body flown back to the States. It's going to be $22,000. And the family's like, $22,000? We spent everything we had to come here. What do you mean twenty two? This woman, she's causing us problems even in her death. And... Uh, he said, but you know, we do have the tourism fund that will kick in. And if you want to bury her here, you can bury her here for $500. Really? Bury her in the Holy Land for $500? $22,000 send her to the States? You know, what should we do? So the family got together and they came back the next morning and said, you know, we've decided we're going to mortgage our home and get the $22,000 to get her back to the States. said, really? Why in the world would you spend that kind of money and taking her back to the States when you could bury her right here. So, well, we got to talking, and we hear that there was one buried here 2,000 years ago, and he, he resurrected and got back, came back alive. Now, I love all the mother-in-laws. And I love my mother-in-law. <laughs> okay, like I said, part of, part of the story is true. And he did tell me that story, but... We know that story probably wasn't true. <laughs> Welcome again. We want to get in the Word of God this morning and just study for a few minutes together in what God has recorded for us. And, you know, some people, I hear skeptics coming out, especially this time of the year, saying, can you believe this resurrection is really, did it really happen? Is this Jesus really the Son of God? You know, is the Scriptures really uh, something you can base your life on? Well, let's start with uh, you know, just, just first 15, uh, Corinthians 15. Paul says, he says, I tell you through the authority of the Scriptures that Jesus came and He lived and He died. And on the authority of the Scriptures, He was buried and He rose on the third day. So, so we Christians love to go to the authority of Scripture and answer these folks, but secular folks don't really have a lot of uh, you know, trust or dependence on the Scripture. So they would say, well, you, you base it on the Scripture, but really and truly can that be? Well, let me tell you why. That we can take it beyond the Scripture because what God does can be studied, what God does can be tried, and what God does will always prove to be true. Uh, and there are prophecies throughout the Scripture in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in the New Testament that, uh, and in, in history that are just overwhelming. So let's say we're not going to trust the authority of the Scripture. Let's look at if the Scripture says it was going to happen, and then it really happened, should that be an extra source that you could place your dependence on the Scripture? You know, you can get in the Word of God, and you can see that uh, Isaiah and Micah, 700 years before Jesus was born and where He was born, they prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. And Micah said exactly the town, the little town that he would be born in, which was not even his hometown. It took a Roman census in order to pull him into Bethlehem. And the Roman census is a secular uh, extra source that backs up and uh, uh, brings validity to the fulfillment of this prophecy. 700 years before, it came to pass exactly like the prophet said. It was Daniel 500 B.C. said that there would be a great empire that would be suddenly cut off, divided into four empires. Those four empires would be divided into two empires. Those two empires would turn into one great empire and then the Messiah would be born. That's what he said in 500 B.C. Guess what? In 300 B.C., Alexander the Great has the world-known great empire, and then he was killed, suddenly cut off at 32. It was divided among his four generals. It became four empires. Those four generals then broke into two empires, the Seleucid and Ptolemaic uh, empires, which then uh, came into the Roman Empire, and it was under the Roman Empire the Messiah was born. To the T of what the prophets have said. I'm here to tell you today, you can trust the Word of God. 
It was Dr. Peter Stoner. He was a professor emetrius of science at Westmont College. He said, I want to do a study. And I want to study the mathematical uh, uh, dependability of the Scripture. But I want to use secular sources to do it. So he looked at just the, prof the, the messianic prophecies. And he said, I'm looking at these messianic, because there's so many prophecies, but let's just study the messianic prophecies. He studied and he came up with 54, and there were over 300 references to those 54. He said, man, that study is going to be too big, take too much time. He only had 12 classes with about 600 students. So he got the school to approve of him narrowing it down to just eight of the messianic prophecies that could be backed up 100% with secular historical evidence. We don't want to back it up with the scripture. We want to back it up with historical, secular evidence. So he says, okay, he took those eight messianic prophecies and they did their study and they found that Jesus Christ fulfilled to the perfection. Every, every I was dotted, every T was crossed in the fulfillment of those eight messianic prophecies through Christ and all of it, the validity of it was from secular uh, extra sources rather than any biblical or theological sources. So he submits all of that over to the uh, uh, all American scientific affiliations for them to uh, validate, uh, validate it so that they could say whether we can publish this or not. So they studied all of their findings and they said, we will validate it and it can be published. So here they published it and, uh, and it came out that the chance that Jesus Christ could have fulfilled all eight of those messianic prophecies was 10 to, the, to 10 to the 17th power. 1 in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 18 zeros. Okay? And then he says, most people don't have a mind. We don't even have a name for that number, so we can't wrap our mind around it. So they said, give us an example of what those odds would be. So he said, okay, a 1 in 10 odds would be 10 cards. You put a mark on one, put the 10 cards in a hat, shake it up, and then you blindfold a man, let him reach in, pull out a card. He has 1 in 10 chances of pulling out that card, right? Well, this 1 to the 10th to the 17th power, 1 in 10 to the 17th power would be like this. And uh, he says, take the state of Texas. Now, how many of you know Texas is a big state? Right at 270,000 square miles. It's the largest state in the contiguous uh, United States. Alaska is the only one larger, uh, but it didn't have as many people. Someone argued with me after the first service and said, no, West Virginia is the largest. <laughs> I said, really? Said, yes, West Virginia is the largest. I said, how do you get that? He said, if you were to flatten out all the mountains in West Virginia, it would be the largest. I said, okay. We, 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 I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good. But here's Texas. And if you took Texas and cut it out of the map, and you were to flip it to your right, it would go over into the Atlantic Ocean. And if you were to take it where it's at and flip it to the left, it would go into the Pacific Ocean. And if you were to flip it south, it would go through Mexico into the Pacific Ocean. And if you flipped it north, it would almost go into Canada. It's a big state, right at 270,000 square miles. Now, here's 1 in 10 to the 17th power. You're to take, how many of you know what a silver dollar is? Yeah. Okay, a silver dollar is bigger than a quarter, bigger than a half, a 50 cent piece, silver dollar. If you were to take silver dollars and cover the state of Texas, laying them side by side, just touching the edges, and just completely canvas Texas, okay? And you take and put a mark on one of those silver do dollars, and you completely cover Texas two feet deep. Okay, now you blindfold a man, you drop him off somewhere in Texas, tell him he can walk any direction he wants, as long as he wants, stop anywhere he wants, reach into those two feet of, 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 of silver dollars and pull out one. His chances of pulling out the one that has the mark on it is the mathematical chance that Jesus came and fulfilled. It could, it basically, it's an impossibility other than being orchestrated by God. So the study that Dr. Stoner came out with, it is an impossibility 
for the, 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 these eight messianic prophecies to have been folklore or to have been traditions of men, they were reality. They had to have happened. There's no way, there's no way they could have been falsified. So we have, from a secular study standpoint, on just eight, not 54 messianic prophecies, and not all of the hundreds of prophecies in the Bible, but just eight, the probability that, that it has been made up or that somebody else altered it. It is the probability is there that the Scriptures are true. So when Paul says, I tell you that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the authority of the Scriptures is a reality, let me tell you what, here's Dr. Stoner saying, I agree with the Apostle Paul. I agree with the Scriptures. There is no way other than this to be true, that Jesus Christ is the one. He is the Son of God. He came. He fulfilled every prophecy, and you can believe it to be true. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me, to know that this Bible I can depend on it. This word is true, proven secular and proven theologically and spiritually to be the Word of God. And another way we can know this is look at these 12 disciples that Jesus had. 12 men, tax collectors, fishermen, peasants, farmers, sons of thunder, doubters. I mean, the list goes on and on. How in the world did these messed up folks, and before you judge them... Look at yourself. We all got a little mess in our lives. Every one of us, right? Now, God can take the mess and turn it into a message, but we all have some messes in our life. So let's don't be too hard on the disciples. But how is it that these messed up men, that they were able to multiply in such a number that today one out of three people out of the seven billion population say that they believe in Jesus Christ. Here we are 2,000 years removed and, and let me tell you, one third of the world even today would stand and say Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I'm here to tell you how did those 12 men carry such a message that is so relevant today it is because it is true it is true it is true most of them their lives were they gave their life as a martyr because they wouldn't back off of the story that I saw him he did live. He did perform miracles. I saw him. He did teach. I saw him. He opened the blinded. I saw him. I was with him when they beat him. I was with him when he was crucified. I saw that, but I saw the empty tomb. And then after that, I saw him walking in resurrection splendor and resurrection glory. He is alive. You can kill me. You can burn me. You can crucify me. Those disciples says, you can't caused me to change the story because I saw it with my own eyes. It is true. And I'm here to tell you today, it is true that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He did live. He did die. And on the third day, He was resurrected and He is alive today and He wants to live in and through your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Matthew 28, let us look at that account it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, then Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And before there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone back from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. He is risen. Yes, He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. The resurrection of Jesus has changed everything. It split the calendar from B.C. to A.D. It changed everything. It offers salvation to mankind. It offers deliverance to everyone who is bound. It offers hope in every situation. It offers power to overcome every attack of the enemy. You don't have to be a victim anymore because you have the victory in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No other event has impacted the world with so, such measure as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, think about it. Jesus never wrote a book. 
And yet there are more books written about him today than any other subject in the world. Jesus, he never composed a song. But there are more songs written about Jesus than any other subject in the world. He never drew a picture. But there is more art and more sculptures that are made about Jesus than any other subject in the world. And as far as I know, he was a homeboy too. He, liked, he never traveled over 100 miles from where he was born that we know in the Scriptures. Yet, you can find his followers in every city, in every town, in every village, in every tribe around the world. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ has made a true difference. And the reason Christianity is spread so is because it's good news. If you know a Christian or they claim to be a Christian and they're giving you bad news, rebuke them. Say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You're, you're stuck in the Old Testament. The bad news in the Old Testament was our own effort can't save us. Our own sacrifice can't save us. Our own words can't save us. Our own deeds can't save us. Our own people can't save us. But the good news was there's coming one who will save us. Well, let's step over in the New Testament and say, you know what? He has already come and He has already performed and done what He needed to do to set me free. So now I have good news. The good news of the gospel. Amen. Christianity is to be about good news. Jesus said in the latter part of John 10 and 10, first part, he said, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Oh, how the devil still tricks us to every time something bad happens. Oh, why did God allow that? Why did God do that? Oh, God must don't want me to have this. God must don't want me to go that direction. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have what? Life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. More abundantly, he said. So now that we are on the coming of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of his spirit, let me tell you what, it's time we step into the good news and the abundant life that he has for us. Amen? Amen. I love it when um, I look through the scriptures and see the contextualization or what was going on, which gives such a better understanding of the text. And there's one, when you look at the book of Philippians, as this uh, uh, letter was written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his circumstances were of such that he was imprisoned. He was locked up for preaching this good news. He was locked up for getting people bound by demons freed up. He was locked up. He was shamed. He was stripped. He was beaten. He was in stocks and chains. And, and it looked like his circumstances should say, put a frown on your face, boy. But when you read this book, you see nothing but a smile. There's more references to joy in this book than any book in the Bible. And he's writing it from being falsely imprisoned because of the gospel. Oh, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. He talks about how joyful we are in Christ. And he does it from this prison cell. I want to give to you in the cha third chapter of Philippians what Paul says was his strength. Look what he says here. He says, and, and I'm looking at the message paraphrase here because I want to make some points the way it uh, brings forth, it takes the translation and brings it in a paraphrase of our conversational uh, language today. And, and, and they're accurate, they're accurate. I've done this say they're very accurate. So this is a very accurate paraphrase of the original. So let, let's look at it here. He says, and that's about it, friends. Be glad in God. I don't mind repeating what I've written in earlier letters and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. Better safe than sorry. So here goes. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies. Anybody know a religious busybody? Don't look around. Don't look around. <laughs> be careful. Be careful. No judging. <laughs> Beware of those religious busybodies. They are all bark and no bite. And all they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. But the real believers, look what he says here. The real believers are the ones the Spirit of God leads. The ones, the real believers have yielded to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God is leading them to do what? To work away at this ministry. Let me tell you what, you need to be busy doing what God has called you to do in the ministry. You need, every one of us has been called it as ministers. Every one of us has gifts and talents. And here at Christian Embassy, we want to come alongside, help you identify your gifts and talents so that you can use and build upon your gifts and your talents in ministry to the Lord. He said, this is real believers. The Spirit of the Lord leads them to work away at this ministry and they fill the air with Christ's praise as we do. 
And he's writing this from a prison cell. Maybe you're here this morning and there's some bondage in your life and there's some hurt in your life and there's some shame in your life. But Paul says, I'm not going to let that shame hold me down. I know the truth and the truth's going to set me free. This is but a temporary setback, but it's also a setup. I'm coming out of here and before I come out of here, I'm going to be a man of faith and I'm going to fill the air with praise even out of my prison. I pray somebody right today, out of your pain and out of your disease and out of that sickness and out of that loss and out of that setback and out of that uh, 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 circumstances that are maybe negative in your life that you would say, these are all but temporary. My God is eternal and I'm going to praise my way out of here. I'm going to fill the air with my praise unto Christ. He said we wouldn't carry this off by our own efforts and we know it. Even though we can list all we can list what many think are impressive credentials. He says, you know my pedigree. I'm legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout, uh, devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church, a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials that these people are waving around is something special I'm tearing them up and throwing them out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. And you ask me why, he says. Remember, he's found the source, he's found the strength, he's found the answer to have joy in the midst of trial. You want to know how to have joy in the midst of trial? Let's see what he says. Here's He says, this is why. Because of Christ... Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything that I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dumb. I don't know if you can say that in church, but it is in the Bible, so maybe you can. He says, I've dumped it all in the trash can so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules which I could get the, but I wanted the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. And then look at verses 10 and 11. He says, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally. Experience his resurrection power be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him to death itself. And if there's any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it too. Hallelujah. I want us to just, for just a minute, look at what Paul says. I gave it all up. Everything I'd worked for. Everything I'd studied for. Every political move I made. Every, every offering, donation I made. Every gift that I did. Every sacrifice that got me to where I was. I gave it up so that I could have these four things. What are those four things? He says, first, that I might know Christ personally. Do you know him personally? He says, all of that puff, all of that surface stuff kept me from embracing Christ and kept me from being embraced by him. Maybe you feel estranged from God. Maybe you feel like you can't get close to God. Maybe there's self-effort between you and Him. Maybe it's you trying to control things. Maybe it's you trying to figure everything out. Maybe it's you trying to dictate how your life should be. Otherwise, without God, we should do all those things. We should try to be the strongest, survival of the strongest. But when you know the creator of the heavens and the earth and his very breath is the breath that you breathe has a plan and a destiny for you and he wants to order your steps if you'll surrender your life to him. Paul says, I put away all of my self-effort and all of the trust and the dependence in the arm of the flesh. I put it aside. It's dog dung. I tear it up and throw it out with the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. To know him personally. Do you know him personally? Did you know you can? You can. He has done everything. He stands at your heart's door and he knocks and he says, if you'll open the door and let him in, he'll come in and he'll sup with you and you with him. There'll be sweet fellowship. But you can't, can't, can't have that 
with the wedge of self-effort and the dependence on the arm of the flesh. We are to make our plans, yes we are, but we're to submit them to the Lord and let Him direct our steps. He said, I want to know Him personally. But look at the second thing He said, I also want to experience His resurrection power. Did you know that's for you this morning? That you and I can experience His resurrection power, the same power that brought Jesus Christ from the dead by His Spirit is the same Spirit that dwells in your mortal body to quicken your mortal body. This mortal body is now, not when you get to heaven. This is your mortal body. And He wants to quicken. He wants to give life to. He wants to bring abundance to your body. You need to say, God, I'm surrendering my body and my life and my career, everything to you. I want to experience the resurrection power of God. Do you know that? Paul says, you wonder how I can have joy while I'm locked up behind these prison bars? You know how I can have joy while the, uh, the scabs are still on my back from the beating uh, that I encountered? Uh, you know how I can have joy with stocks on my feet and chains on my arms and treated worse than the worst of criminals? It's because I can have resurrection power come in and transform these circumstances. And if you'll remember in the Philippian jail with the Philippian jailer that God did come when Paul and Silas were singing and shook the foundations of the prison and the prison bars came open and the chains fell off and the, and the prisoner guard, the guard who was punishing them falls on his knees and he and his family get saved. Paul knew there was resurrection power available. Do you know that? If you don't, I'm here to remind you today that the very power that brought Jesus Christ three days dead out of the grave alive forevermore is the same power here in this building and here ready to fill you and flood your body and flood your circumstance by His Spirit and bring forth a newness of life for you as well. Paul says, I want to know Christ personally. Throw it all away. Harm of the flesh. My own thoughts trying to figure it out. Is it? Is it not? Will it? Will it not? I'm throwing it aside and saying, God, I'm living for you. Jesus, have your way. Guide me and direct me. I want to know you personally. And I want to know the power of your resurrection. But he also goes on, and many people stumble over this part, and the devil really helps them interpret it incorrectly. And the third thing he says is, I want to be a partner in his suffering. Please listen to this. This is very, very important. In a partnership, if someone... You don't need both people doing the same thing. Pastor Rodriguez and I have been married now 22 years, and she's my helpmate, and I'm her helpmate. I want to help her in the things she is not comfortable doing or maybe not good at, and, and she wants to help me in the things I'm not comfortable with or things I'm not good at. And together, we're a greater team because of that. So she's not the daddy... I'm the daddy. But as the daddy, I need that motherly nurturing for my children, and she's a nurturer. I'm a nurturer too, but, you know, she's that motherly nurturer. It's just different. It's different. That's why Morgan's almost sitting in her lap over there, just the sweetheart, you know. And uh, so that, that's, that's good. So partnership is not doing the same. And when he says, I want to be a partner in his suffering, what Paul was talking about was what we call the divine exchange. Now, what is the divine exchange? The divine exchange is this. I am here, and this is something I can't do for me. And God is here saying, this is something I'm willing to do for you. Okay. So the divine exchange is this. That Jesus Christ was willing to come and take on what was going to destroy us so that he could bring eternal victory and give it to us. Okay. So here's an example. In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about all the blessings and the curses. Um, and, the, and the blessings are great. They're amazing. Blessed coming in, blessed going out. You know, above only and not beneath. And, you know, it's amazing blessings there. But then there's a lot of curses that are there. And when you violate the law, the enemy has the right to bring those curses on you. And we all were born sinners, so the enemy had a right to bring these curses on us. And the wages of sin is death, we read in Romans. So we know that the enemy's trying to destroy our lives even before our lives are destroyed. So here is prophetically saying that it was saying that this is a sign of the curse of poverty. I'm just using this one as an example. It says, you'll be, in hung you'll be hungry, you'll be thirsty, you'll be naked, and you'll be in want of all things. 
Now to show you the divine exchange, God goes to meticulous details to tell us when Jesus ate last and how long it was before he was crucified so we know that he was hungry. And on the cross, Jesus said what? I thirst. I thirst. Why in the world would God record that uh, if, if it wasn't for a purpose? And God records everything for a purpose. So he knows he, we know he's hungry. We know he's thirsty. And we know that they had stripped him naked and his clothes were, they were sorted out among them and that seamless one they're actually casting lots for because they didn't want to tear it. And the Bible tells us those details to let us know that Jesus was hanging on that cross naked. And not only was he naked when they took him off of the cross, the Bible goes into detail to tell us he had nothing. He owned nothing. He owned no property. And, and so much so that he had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, why would the Bible tell us those four specific things about Jesus if it were not to wake us up to the divine exchange that we could partner with His sufferings that through His suffering, He took on hunger, He took on thirst, He took on nakedness, and He took on one of all things uh, so that we who were born under that curse uh, may have that curse taken off of us and the divine exchange put the blessing of Abraham on us just like Galatians 3. 13 and 14 says we're redeemed from the curse of the law for cursed is he who hangs on a tree the Bible says so that the blessing of Abraham might what? Come upon us even the Gentiles. That is the divine exchange. And Paul says I want to be a partner in his sufferings. Jesus I want it that you took stripes on your back for our healing and I don't want that to go in vain. I don't want that to be in vain. So I'm going to partner. If you did it for our healing I'll receive the healing. And I'll give you the glory for it. I'll say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus has healed me. Jesus has healed me. And, and in poverty, Lord, I don't want you to have hung up there naked, hung up there thirsty, hung up there uh, hungry, and, and been buried in a borrowed tomb and took the curse. You need a partner to take the blessing. So I'm going to partner with you on this. And you took all that so that the blessing could come on me. Isn't that what Paul said? That he who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might be made rich in Christ Jesus. That's the divine exchange. That's the divine exchange. I'm telling you that Paul is on to something here. He said, I can't help but be filled with joy because any suffering in my life I know Jesus has already suffered for me and if I'll be the partner instead of under the curse I can come out under the blessing and I can live the blessed life he says I know but this is temporary but that breakthrough is right around the corner that setup is right around the corner for me to go to the next level hallelujah so don't allow that one little part of the verse to trick you and think you got to go because if you taking stripes upon your back could heal you then why did Jesus do it? And if you taking nails in your hand and shedding your blood could wash your sins away, then why didn't you shed blood? It took Jesus. But He needs a partner. So we partner with His suffering so that we can receive the blessing. And Paul knew that. He said, how can I not write this, book, this letter with so much joy because of that? And then finally he says, I also want to go all the way with Him to death itself. And if there's any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I want to do that too. What's he saying here? Just like in a commitment of marriage where you say, until death do us part. He says, I'm getting into this with Jesus until death. I'm making a commitment. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I've seen people and had moments of that in my own life where things don't go your way. I remember young in the Lord, things didn't go my way, and I felt like the kid kicking the can down the, down the, you know, the road, you know, fussing and carrying on. Kind of reminds me one time when I was a little boy, you, my kids, you close your ears, you don't need to hear this, but when I was probably, I don't know, eight, nine years old, and we came home from school, my brother and I, and, and uh, we were heating up a can of Campbell's Condensed Chicken Noodle Soup. Anybody know what that is? Half of it's got flavor, and you add a can of water that waters it down. So that, okay. Well, my brother ran in there when it got hot on the stove because there wasn't no such thing as microwaves back then. Believe that or not, believe it or not. And he pours a little of the juice off till it gets to where the noodles are showing, and then he pours all the noodles over in the other bowl. He gets the bowl with the noodles and those little pieces of chicken. I think they're chicken. They're something. And, uh, and I got nothing but broth. And I was upset, and I said, no, Jim, we're going to split the noodles. He's a year older than me, and he's like, no, no. He's slurping it and spitting back in the bowl so I wouldn't want to eat it. And I was like, oh, you can have that. 
But I was upset. So I did what I normally wouldn't do, but I was hungry undoubtedly. And I go in there and I said, Mama, Mama. Well, Mama didn't want to hear it. And she says, eat your soup and, 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 and stop this fussing. Eat what you got. I said, Mom, there's nothing in there to eat. Well, then drink it. And that thing hit me wrong. And I went outside. And this is old country house with the windows up. But I go outside, and she's got an, a car, her car there, and I start kicking the tires, and I start repeating every adult word that I've ever heard come out of the adults' mouths that I knew I wasn't supposed to say. And uh, Lord help me, <laughs> but I'm kicking the tires, and I'm just practicing those words. And when I come back into the side house up at the steps, my mom's there with a switch. <laughs> she was in the window right outside the car, and she heard it all. And we had a go-to, you know what, meeting there. And that was the last time I let that kind of mess come out of my mouth. <laughs> it cha it tra changed me. But that's sometimes how we as Christians do. When we don't get what we think we want, when we want it, and how we want it, we get mad at God. And it could have been the devil. My brother was the devil. Okay, no, 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 Jim, I love you, Jim, I love you. But uh, that, that felt good. You know, Jim was the devil and I was the saint. No, being persecuted for Jesus. Huh, praise God. But no, uh, <laughs> But when the devil comes in and he steals something, and Jesus said, Satan comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. He steals something wrong. We get, we're like, why did God, God, why are you doing this to me? And we get mad and go kick the tires and say our words, and we're mad at God, and I'm never going to serve God, and I'm not going to live for God, and I'm going to turn my back on God, and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Paul says, uh-uh, no. I'm going to do what Pastor Tim counsels premarital in premarital counseling, that the D word will never be used in this marriage. What's the D word? Donuts. I mean, uh, divorce, divorce, <laughs> divorce. <laughs> divorce will never be a word that we speak in this marriage because we are committed until death do us part. No matter what trials we go through, no matter what adjustments we go through, no matter what misunderstandings and understandings we have to work through, we will not even consider a cessation of this covenant. This is what Paul said. He said, I'm in this unto the death. Things may not work out the way I thought they would work out, but I'm not turning my back on you, Lord. Things may come at me that I don't understand, but I'm not turning my back on you, Lord. I'm not going to blame you, Lord. I'm not going to blame I'm in this unto the death. And he says, and if I can get in on the resurrection, I'll get in on that too. And what he meant there was, I don't know that the Lord's going to return back and rapture us at any moment. And if he does, I'm going to be raptured up into the air. But if I live my full life and die, then I could get in on the resurrection because it says in the twinkling of an eye, the dead shall rise and those dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He says, I'd like to get in on that so that I can even say I tasted the death and resurrection side of it as well. But I am in it to the end. Hallelujah. Paul said, I want to know him personally. I'll give up all my degrees. I'll give up all of my status. I'll give up my pension. I'll give up my salary. I'll give up my place in the synagogue. I'll give it all up if it takes that because I want to know him personally. There's not going to be a superficial relationship here. I'm in it to give him my heart, to embrace him and to be embraced by him. And I'm also in it to experience the power of the resurrection. I pray for each and every one of you in the name of Jesus right now that you will experience the power of His resurrection after you open yourself to the intimacy of knowing Him as Lord and Savior. That whatever chains, whatever bondage, whatever pain, whatever setback, whatever negative circumstances has come at you, that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ would be manifested in your life and bring you up out of that tomb to bring you up out of that setback, to bring you up out of that pain into the gain that He has for you through His Spirit. And that you would say, I am the, I'm going to partner in His suffering. Everything He suffered in the divine exchange to give me, I'm going to receive the blessing. He's not going to be suffering in vain. He's not going to have suffered in vain. Whatever He suffered for to get me out of, I'm coming out of. Whatever He suffered for to get to me, I'm going to receive it. I'm going to partner in his suffering. And I'm going to benefit from his death. Everything that he's provided through his death, I'm going to benefit from. And I'm in this until the death. I am not turning my back on the Lord. 
I pray that every one of you under the sound of my voice this day would make that commitment and let the cement dry so that it can never be moved that I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ until I take my last breath. From this day forward, there's no turning back for me. There's no turning back. I'm going to live and I'm going to love and I'm going to serve and I'm going to praise and I'm going to advance the kingdom of God every day of my life. I am His. He is mine. There's no turning back until death do us part. And then I'm going to benefit from His death. And if, if we die before the Lord returns, should He tarry, that we can also taste of the resurrection because even these bodies will be resurrected and glorified as we spend eternity with the Lord. What a glorious, glorious promise. And remember what Dr. Stoner said, I did a study on all of this from a secular point of view and the odds of this just happening and it wasn't the plan, there's no God and there was no plan of God, it just happening would be one in 10 to the 17th power Silver dollars stacked two feet high covering the state of Texas. And you reaching in and grabbing the one with the mark on it. It's an impossibility for it just to have happened. It's the divine plan of God. And if it's the divine plan of God, make sure you participate in His plan. To know Him personally. To embrace Him and be embraced by Him. Would you stand with me please? Father, we just stand in your presence on this Easter Sunday, Lord, this Resurrection Sunday, and we say thank you. As we look back 2,000 years, as we look back 4,000 years, as we look back 6,000 years, we see the plan is consistent, that you love us, that you knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb, and you have a plan for us. You have a divine destiny for each and every one of us. Lord, the question would be posed to us here before you even now. Are we committed in a relationship to you? And in that relationship and through that to discover our divine destiny. And to be used by you to bring forth the great manifest of your goodness and your mercy and your blessings to this earth. People around us are missing out on the favor of heaven that is not flowing through us to them if we are not totally committed. I pray, God, that by your Spirit you would draw all men unto you even this morning. And if there are men and women here right now who have never known you personally and, been, and embraced you and been embraced by you, I pray right now, God, that they would, they would trust your word enough to honor and obey your word. And you tell us in your word, anyone and everyone who will call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Would you call on his name? Jesus, Jesus. Oh, I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my circumstances. Jesus, I'm calling on you. I want to embrace you, Jesus. And I want to be embraced by you. Paul tells us that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord, meaning that He is the one whom we have surrendered our future to. He is the one whom we have surrendered our lives to beginning right now and going forward. If we will confess His Lordship and believe that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Oh, join me in this prayer even now. Join me in this prayer. But even before we pray, I, I would like to ask everybody here, maybe those that are tuning in right now, if you have already surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or you are surrendering to His Lordship even now, just raise both hands as a sign of surrender. We know that on the negative, if somebody came in uh, to a bank and says, stick them up, stick them up, I'm robbing the bank. When they had a weapon, we'd raise our hands. Then we would surrender. But we don't have to surrender to negative today. We're surrendering to your goodness and your mercy and your love and your great plans for us. So here's a sign of our surrender. Everyone, maybe it was 50 years ago. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was 10 years ago. But you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Both hands, we just raise them before you, Lord. And maybe even right now, you want to surrender your life to Jesus. Just raise your hand with us and say, Jesus, Jesus, I raise my hands because I surrender my life to you. 
And then pray in your heart. Pray with your lips. Pray a prayer like this. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I surrender to you. I want going forward to do what the Apostle Paul did. Anything and everything I've been depending on outside of you, I'm willing to tear it up. I'm willing to throw it out with the trash so that I can embrace you and be embraced by you. Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to put my dependence on you. I call you my Lord. From this day forward, I'm here to serve you, Lord. I'm here to honor you and praise you, Jesus. Now, if you will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and I believe with the, with the mathematical equation of that which we've even come with secular uh, history and secular science supporting, you should know that the resurrection is so certainly the truth. So believe it right now that God has raised Jesus from the dead. I'm surrendering my life. I believe. I am yours and you are mine. And now just tell him, Jesus, I'm going to serve you until death do us part. <laughs> and the good thing about it, death won't do you part because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So do you take your last breath, you're going to serve the Lord, and then you're going to wake up in heaven there to be with him forevermore. Hallelujah. Say, Jesus, I give my all to you. Hallelujah. I surrender in Jesus' name. Father, you see the hands lifted through this camera into those homes and into those workplaces and into those vehicles. You see the hands lifted. This sanctuary upstairs, downstairs, and overflow. You see these hands lifted, Lord. You see these hearts that belong to you, that are welcoming you, Jesus, to come in in resurrection power by your Spirit. Now, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus that the divine transfer would take place right now. And Lord God, all that you did for our blessing would be transferred to them as their hands are raised, Lord. That's the identification. Lord, let that divine exchange take place right now. Let every curse be transferred over for a blessing. Let the curse come off of them and the blessing come on to them in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing. Let there be deliverance. Let there be prosperity. Let there be open doors. Let there be favor. Let there be an anointing. Let there be joy. Unspeak and full of glory let it be a peace that surpasses all understanding Lord God it, let the transfer take place even now with resurrection power in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen and amen hallelujah